0: Show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll feature security expert Jason Lang talking about the recent Black Hats conference and our safety from security. A little bit later, we'll hear from Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. All this and more on the Tech Night Owl Live. I'm the Tech Night Out Live this segment. We're talking to Jason Lang, and we're going to start with an event called Black Hat, which has nothing to do with bridal showers or anything like that. What is a black hat? Now, most of our listeners who are familiar with security issues know there are white hats and black hats, right? Yes. <laughs> so explain what they are and their purposes. We, white hat. What's a white hat?
1: A white hat. Is somebody like myself, somebody who is a professional, call it a red team or professional penetration tester, somebody who gets paid to compromise an organization and then write a report on how the compromise takes place, and then the report gets delivered to uh, the customer, and then the customer takes the vulnerabilities that are in the report and they go and fix them, and then maybe next year we do the same thing or we change it up a little bit and do a different kind of scenario. A black hat is somebody who doesn't care about any of those things and. Really just wants to take data. Usually it's for a couple of reasons. I mean, according to the, uh, the Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report uh, from last year, the, the biggest motivator for a black hat, somebody who, you know, just literally just breaks in and steals stuff, is for financial means. Uh, and I think that was like 75% of compromises, according to them. So it's, in my experience, you know, it, it's normally... People looking for either money or looking for notoriety like they want, you know, hacker cred with their buddies or, you know, things like that. But in most cases, I think it's money.
0: Is it a profitable business now?
1: You know, it's really a question. I mean, from a white hat standpoint, yes, security is is very profitable. Lots and lots of people want it because they read about breaches like LinkedIn and Home Depot and stuff like that. And they're like, you know, am I vulnerable? And the answer to that question is most likely yes. Yes, you probably are. Uh, and so, you know, that's why companies team up with, you know, companies like, like Trusted Tech, uh, the company that I work for, you know, to try and find those vulnerabilities. And then we, we work with the customer, you know, step by step to fix those things. And so, yes, you know, on, on the professional side of things, it's very profitable. On, on the black hat side of things, I don't really get into like the dark web or like, you know, looking up people's social security numbers to see how much a record goes for. But normally, from what I understand, records like that are sold in bulk you know you can expect like if your social security number is compromised it's going to be sold you know with 10 million other social security numbers in in a package deal
0: i ran into a curious situation maybe you can explain it to me someone sends me an email with something that roughly approximates a password i once used not anymore i use either password manager or i let Apple's safari Mm -hmm. figure a strong password for me so i don't know what my passwords are they're stored now, yep. he's demanding $1,000 in Bitcoin. Otherwise, mm-hmm. he will show proof that I visited a porn site on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Now, I have nothing against porn sites. It's just that I haven't visited any. Maybe I'm too old or something like that. Obviously, this is just a stupid attempt at extortion. Yeah. Now, if I write the person back, it only validates who I am. But what do we do about something like that? If you report him or her to the authorities, can they even trace it?
1: Unlikely. If I were pulling off a scheme like that, I would be coming through multiple anonymous sources. And chances are the person who's doing something like that's in a different country. So the likelihood of you getting any sort of retribution, so to speak, or seeing that person brought to justice is, I'm going to just say it's slim to none. What can you do? I mean, in order to understand that, you have to kind of, peel back the layers of the onion, so to speak. So that password that the person has from your account is probably a legitimate password that you once used several years ago. And what happens is that LinkedIn is a, is a popular one. We use it all the time. LinkedIn was breached several years ago and the password hashes were released. Those passwords were then cracked to their clear text values. And then the, the account name was matched up with the password name or with the the actual password. And so people have a a long, long list. I'm talking, you know, hundreds of gigs of data that all represents password breach data. And so what scam artists do is they they take those passwords and they have the email addresses that that correlate to them. And so they, they send you an email and say, okay, here's the compromised password. And then they try to extort money from you by saying, you know, you've gone to a website that maybe you have, maybe you haven't gone to. And, you know, it's popular with like compromises like the Ashley Madison one. You know, that was obviously devastating to a lot of people for, you know, obvious reasons. But, you know, that's how that sort of extortion takes place. So my recommendation would be don't respond. Yes, they have a password that is probably your old password. However, they have no proof that you've been to a website, you know, especially if it's not coming from that domain. I mean, if you do happen to go to porn websites and it's coming from there, well, you know, okay, maybe that's kind of legitimate, but a real website, a real business is not going to be extorting money from you. So best thing you can do is is to ignore it. However. If it is your real password and you look at that and you're like, oh shoot, this person has my real password. Well, you absolutely should be getting a password manager swapping out all of your passwords for the sites that you visit frequently for long uh, and strong passwords.
0: The thing I like about that, when you set up a new email account, it offers you a password and believe you me, nobody in his right mind or otherwise will guess that password. On the other hand, is that even true? I guess if you try hard enough, you can guess anybody's password, can you?
1: Yes. It, it really comes down to a matter of time. Personally, I, I personally use LastPass. All of my passwords are, you know, a minimum of like, you know, 30 plus characters in length, all randomly generated. I mean, like for my, my primary um, account, like my, like my personal email account, you couldn't torture the password out of me because I have no idea what it is. So I recommend people going to those sorts of models where it's like, you know, most reputable websites support longer passwords. And if you choose like a 30 character password and put it into the into the new password field and they're like, sorry, it's a maximum length of 16 characters. Well, then drop your password length, to 16 characters, but go up to the maximum allowable value. But for something like like a 25 character password that's randomly generated, I'm not going to say it's completely and utterly impossible, but you're kind of approaching. Mathematical impossibility in the lifespan of a human being. So, because I would have to launch a brute force attack and then just randomly guess or do, you know, like a, a full brute force starting with all A's and then all A's and one B. I mean, that stuff like that is, I mean, I'm no mathematician, but, you know, from what I understand, you're talking on the order of centuries to crack a password like that or to brute force it.
0: Now, brute force, as he says, means that you try a password over and over again. And at some point in time, a website will lock you out we have that on our web server where if someone tries to log in over and over again too many times within a given time frame your history goodbye literally i would have to allow them to be unlocked so that's one of the ways that's done now i would also worry about sites that won't let you add these complicated humongously long passwords Mm -hmm. because it means maybe their security needs to be fixed.
1: Yeah, you know, so in that case, there's been a few websites where I've tried to register where it's like, sorry, the maximum password length is 12. That's just dumb. That's stupid for all the wrong reasons. However, when you get into an organization like that, especially if the organization is an older organization, I'm talking like 50 years plus, what's happening behind the scenes is that those passwords, there's some sort of integration Uh, with, you know, some legacy technology that is governing the maximum password length. So, you know, in banking, we see this all the time. And in the financial vertical, frequently users have a maximum password of like, you know, eight or nine characters. And the reason being is because there's some sort of legacy integration with like a mainframe, you know, mainframes being around forever. Some mainframes were seven characters max, some mainframes were eight characters max. And it's one of those things where it's like, because of that legacy integration, it's so difficult to tear that out because active directory you know the the authentication system that most companies use it supports really long passwords it supports you know spaces you know you can go to hundreds of characters but when you have this kind of a boat anchor of this legacy hardware this legacy system that is governing your password policy it makes it really difficult for some companies
0: we've got more to come with security guru you like that jason lang on the tech night owl live <laughs>
3: That's why you need your own plan for self-reliance. That's where My Patriot Supply comes in.
0: Jason Lang, security consultant, guru, expert, is with us. We're going to talk about the Black Hat conference. Is this where the hackers get together and show off the things they can achieve?
1: It's one of several conferences, but it, it, it is the world's largest conference, and, and it's not just Black Hats. I mean, there, there are absolutely Black Hats who go there, but um, Black Hat is the, the Black Hat. The conference is made up of security professionals all across the board. You know everything from. Black hats to white hats, everything between vendors. I mean, I think this year Black Hat is going to hit. It's it probably close to twenty thousand if it hasn't already. Def Con, right on the heels of it, hit twenty five thousand in attendance last year. So, I mean, you're talking a lot of people in Vegas for this conference. And you know, there's there are some people there that are legit, some people that are not so legit, and that's just the way it works.
0: But when you say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, that's not true with the Black Hat conference, is it? <laughs>
1: Uh, there was some, some interesting stuff that happened. I don't know if it happened last year with like uh, cell phone uh, intercept spoofers and, you know, the feds were called in and it was kind of a big scene, but what you do and what you demonstrate uh, in Vegas can definitely have uh, how should we put it? Career limiting moves. Um, if you are demonstrating illegal stuff, uh, it might be flashy and sexy while you're on stage, but you know, it might get you in trouble after the fact. So Normally, I mean, that's you normally don't see a lot of that. I mean, the the vast, vast majority of presentations that I've seen are are really good presentations, good content, worthwhile. Um, You know, you're just you're just fighting a lot of people. But, you know, Black Hat is just the biggest conference. There are InfoSec uh, conferences all across the country uh, at various times of the year. So there's a lot of people and a lot of good content.
0: Now, I ran into something here, which is probably some kind of hack. And that is somebody calls me on the phone and says, why did I call them? And I'm looking. I didn't call them. I haven't called anybody. What's going on here? Plus, it's a phone number I have no access to for various and sundry reasons, mostly because the phone adapter for that number is in storage. So I can't receive outgoing calls. Calls made to that number are forwarded to my cell phone, just to be brief. Now, what happened here, most likely, is a telemarketer spoofed my caller ID. And I notice what they tend to do here is when they call somebody in a certain group of numbers, like, say, 773, they will call you on a faked 773 number. So you think, well, it must be a neighbor or someone. Is it easy to spoof a caller ID? I know it's illegal.
1: Uh, It's actually not illegal in the United States, uh, and it is extremely easy. In fact, there are uh, applications that you can download uh, for iOS as well as for Android. Um, we use them all the time in social engineering engagements. A good example would be if I'm pretending to be a system administrator and I call up a user saying, hey, you got fish, you know, I need to make some changes to your account. What is your VPN access code? Well, I actually had one person put me on hold and look at the caller ID and verify the caller ID. Well, what this person didn't know is that I had spoofed caller ID to be their home office. You know, it's extraordinarily easy to do. Uh, if you put applications on your phone, you buy a, a certain amount of credits. So, like, if you buy 100 credits, it's like 100 minutes um, of spoof time. But you can spoof any uh, any number. Like, if I wanted to call you from the White House, I could do that. Um, and a lot of these applications, it's actually kind of cool. A lot of them, they also have like voice processors in them. So, if you want to change, you know, a male voice to be a female voice, or if you want to add background noise, like uh, one time I did a call where um, I was at home, but I I want to make it sound like I was in a room full of people, so I added the the, the coffee shop uh, background uh, noise processor and it, it injected like, you know, standard coffee shop noises into the phone call. So thankfully for us as penetration testers, it's not illegal, but for average folks, yes, it is. It, it, that, that kind of stuff can be, you know, devastating, uh, especially for people who have never had any experience with that, you know, they, they trust their caller ID. And so, you know, when I give security awareness training, that's one of the, one of the very first things I tell people when it comes to voice-based uh, social engineering is never ever trust your caller ID
0: you can't trust anyone anymore now i realize a lot of times even a legitimate company wants to use a local number sure for various reasons and i know legitimately you can get virtual phone numbers online where you choose a certain number not duplicating someone's number but you can choose say the area code and you get a choice of numbers and use that to set up a local calling area for customers which is legitimate, that's a real reason. But the question I'm gonna ask you before we get on here, it looks to me like this do not call list has been an abysmal failure, hasn't it?
1: It's impossible for me to say yes or no to that because I don't know how many calls I haven't received as a result of being on the do not call list. However, I I can tell you this, there have been more uh, successful telemarketing calls and scammers getting through I mean, obviously, a scammer doesn't care about the Do Not Call list, but a telemarketer is supposed to obey those laws. But normally, when I get a fake phone call, it's from a—it's not from a reputable company. It's not even from a telemarketer. It's normally from somebody trying to scam me, um, and they might have just, you know, either guessed my number or pulled my number online or something like that. Uh, so I—I I, generally, yeah, I, I can't really say, you know, how effective the Do Not Call list is. Um, I know that when I added myself to it, the amount of telemarketing calls I got went down, but that was years and years ago. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to say at this point.
0: I urge everybody to do a search of the New York Times. They did a story about the failure of the Do Not Call Registry, pointing out that it's just outrageous now. There's so many easy ways to do telemarketing. You can't trust anybody. You certainly can't trust the person or business that's calling you like i get a call and i'll mention the name because i know it's not them i've been getting a call every couple of days from someone saying they represent all state insurance and they want to give me a quote on an auto policy now point of fact i haven't contacted all state insurance Allstate insurance is a large reputable company as reputable as insurance companies can be and i realize it has many meanings and when you check you give a person some information they say maybe you ask for a quote online and then they connect you to somebody, because like an operator or a receptionist, and they know nothing about you, even though they claim that you did apply for a policy or get a quote online. At that point, I realized it's a fake. Don't know whether Allstate in any way accepts any of this nonsense, this foldy role, which is a hard word. Anyway, let's get back to the Black Hat Conference. Anything new, any new kinds of intrusions? That they succeeded in making, that we should be aware of.
1: There are some uh, new techniques that are getting dropped at Black Hat. A lot of it is from at least from what I've seen. I I haven't thoroughly gone through each one of the talks, but um, there's a lot of theoretical stuff that gets released. Theory, basically, meaning here's this awesome idea, and then two or three years later, a security researcher will actually take that idea and turn it. They'll weaponize it. I haven't seen too many really really novel attacks that don't rely on uh, shall I put it old ways of compromising an organization. What I mean by that is you know when it comes to companies, generally speaking the way, the way in and the way and it's been the way in for years and years now is through social engineering in my case it's usually phishing but I'll, I'll absolutely get on the phone uh, with someone if it will help We break we do physical intrusions as well to try and break into a company like physically but normally speaking new ways that are that are coming out still rely on a user like clicking an email opening an attachment or clicking on a link or something like that
0: okay jason lang joining us i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night out live
8: thank you for listening to gcn visit GCNlive.com today
9: as a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So, what could you do with ten dollars? Go to Vistaprint.com today and you'll get five hundred high quality custom business cards for only nine ninety nine. That's less than two cents per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So, it's never been easier to turn five hundred strangers into connections. Just visit Vistaprint.com and use promo code five thousand at checkout. That's Vistaprint.com, promo code five zero zero zero.
6: Water is
11: Hey, everyone. Proactive MD has an incredible offer for our radio listeners only. Stay tuned for our exclusive offer that includes a free charcoal pore cleansing brush and free shipping. Proactive MD with prescription strength Adapalene can heal and prevent future breakouts. Today, for just $19.95, we're offering listeners the three-piece Proactive MD system with free shipping, plus a free gift, the new charcoal pore cleansing brush. Get this exclusive offer by calling now, 1-800-583-8662, or go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio. You heard right. Proactive MD plus free shipping and a free gift. The new charcoal pore cleansing brush. You'll get all this for just $19.95 and their 60-day money-back guarantee. You're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or you get your money back. Call now, 1-800-583-8662. That's 1-800-583-8662. Or go to Proactive.com and enter promo code radio. Again, go to Proactive.com and enter promo code radio.
12: Hi, I'm Dr. Bill Deagle, MD, AAEM, ACAM, A4M of Nutramedical.com and a consultant providing email advice free on advanced protocols for your optimized wellness and advanced technologies to heal and regenerate you. You can contact us at NutriMedical.com, that's N-U-T-R-I-Medical.com or 888-212-8871. You get free email starter protocols of our top medical grade nutraceuticals, initial testing and recommendations for your own primary doctor to do, as well as recommendations to give you an idea of a consultation and a full protocol to try to help you regenerate your tissues, heal naturally without the use of toxic polypharmacy. I can send test kits to you as well anywhere in the world and provide you recommendations to referral of specialty clinics worldwide. So contact me, Dr. Bill Deagle, at Nutramedical.com, that's N-U-T-R-I-Medical.com, or
13: 888-212-8871. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next.
0: On the Tech Night Owl Live, Jason Lang is regaling us with stories about the black hats in action, about the things they're doing to try to capture information illegally. Now, one of the big episodes in recent years was the security leak over at Equifax, the large credit bureau. So they have the credit reports on hundreds of millions of American citizens. So what we're talking about here is suddenly your credit information has become public. And there are a lot of people... Now, who have access to it? So does this mean that we're going to have a rash of people refinancing their homes, a rash of people taking out credit cards in the name of somebody else?
1: It's entirely possible uh, that something like that could occur, especially with things like Social Security numbers getting breached. Um, I mean, Equifax having basically just all of the data on all of the people um it's a, it, admittedly, it's a situation that I don't think, you know, as as a country we've really faced before of, of you know, having all of this data available for purchase. Um, here's the good news. The good news is that banks have gotten much, much better uh, in terms of doing things like turning around credit cards, detecting fraudulent activity. Um, I know that my bank will absolutely shut down my credit card instantly if um, there are, you know, some suspicious charges. And in fact, most banks will they, they will issue you a new credit card before you even detect anything weird going on for example i received um it was just a brand new credit card out of the blue from my bank and it was it was legitimate saying that they saw some activity not necessarily on my account but that there there was an issue with one of their processors and they were just issuing me a new credit card just to be safe um, which i thought i thought that was pretty neat so you know banks are getting better about uh, detecting fraudulent activity I know that is a huge huge hotspot with banks right now so and of course you know banks the ones that are issuing loans and so as far as I know yes that data is still out there however controls have improved to try and you know stem the tide of you know a rash of new credit cards you know fraudulent credit cards being picked up plus I mean attack really wants to you can buy credit card numbers online um, from previous breaches and that's that is still an unfortunate problem as well so
0: Let me get to one thing here, of course. We have those devices that were mentioned that supposedly allow you to break into an iPhone. And this is the outgrowth of the Santa Barbara terrorist attack, where one of those users had a phone from his employer, a government agency. Now, before we go on, before we even mention this, and I should have brought this up, that is here, doesn't one assume that an employer who's handing out smartphones to somebody, he has management tools where he will provision the device and if necessary, take control of it or wipe it at the source. So why would there have been a problem? (sighs)
1: So on the whole MDM side of things, there is still some liability as far as what users put on their devices, you know, things like pictures and videos and stuff like that. I, I mean, you're you're right in that. It, it, assuming that the um, the user's device was properly protected, um, the 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 company that the user worked for could simply just wipe it. However, there are also ways around some of that technology. For example, um, when when MobileIron was first released, if you jailbroke your phone, you could simply remove certain aspects of the of the program the program would still run on your device. And I actually I actually did this on, on my own phone. Um, the, the program would still run on your device. However, uh, it would, the, the link to call it the, the mothership uh, was broken. And so even though mobile iron was still working and you could still check your email and the application was still valid, remote white commands could not be sent to the device because the device would simply wouldn't receive them. On, on iOS, there, there were ways around that sort of technology um, mobile Aaron has since gotten much better about that. And so have other MDMs. I mean, I, I pick think I'm mobile Aaron because it's the one I have experience with, but other MDMs have included things like jailbreak, uh, detection and stuff like that. So if it detects that your phone is jailbroken, um, it either won't allow you on the network to begin with, or it will just issue a web command. Um, so, you know, try and prevent that sort of tampering.
0: So these devices do work.
1: Sure. I, I, I when you say these devices, are we are you talking about like the brute force device? Yeah.
0: So we have these devices There's a company in Israel and there's another company in America that built these little boxes. And if you hook up your iPhone to one of these little boxes after a certain period of time, it will get in. Sure. And they're not expensive to buy. But the first question I have, other than asking whether they work or not, the first question I would have is, do they do what they're advertised of doing? And if they're available for a few thousand dollars, how can you restrict sales to law enforcement people, it would seem to me anybody can get a hold of one.
1: It's not quite that simple. The devices are illegal to purchase unless you are law enforcement. So, are they available on the black market? Yes, they are. However, kind of like what happened at Black Hat, it was either last year or a couple of years ago, where people stood up their own cell towers. If you do that, that is, uh, as far as I know, that's a, a felony, an FCC violation, um, and you can go to jail and have to pay a lot of money. So. You can do things like, uh, I'm trying to recall the name of the device, but the one that's popular um, in places like prisons or for trying to triangulate positions of, what we'll we'll just call them persons of interest. Um, There are devices that will uh, basically spoof a cell phone tower. And because the power of that device is greater than the power of the nearest cell phone tower, the phone will automatically join to it. And now you're in a man in the middle position. And so those devices do work. Is it possible to acquire it? Outside of law enforcement, well, sure, uh, through various illegal means, but it's important to understand that, you know, doing so as a felony is going to land you in jail.
0: As well, as as it's understand. not that something that's illegal stops people from doing things that are illegal.
1: Sure. The, the point being is that it's not available for easy mass consumption. It's not like uh, spoofing your caller ID where anybody can do it because anybody can just buy the app there are specific entry points that you have to go through in order to acquire that technology. So, I mean, yeah, if there was like a dirty cop who had an extra one of these devices and sold it, you know, on the black market. Yeah. That kind of stuff is possible. And plus I I think the, the bigger danger isn't so much the device as well, as much as it is people taking the initiative to build it themselves. So that's really where you kind of get into the hacker space of why spend, you know, tons of money on one of these devices when I can just, you know, build it uh, and do the same thing. So you know we and we have done engagements like that in the past where it's like you know can we build some sort of cell interceptor that's very very low power you know to see if we can you know pull off attacks like that and they are possible to do um with everyday hardware so you know something that you can just buy you know go to the nearest hardware store you can buy stuff uh, to make an antenna you can you know get the software to actually power the device it's that's probably a little more disconcerting than actually acquiring one of the quote-unquote legitimate devices
0: You know, when I hear stuff like this, I begin to wonder. Maybe we should all give it up and use smoke signals.
1: (laughs) You know, so there's something that I tell people when I'm giving them security awareness training that I think is helpful for for the shall I call the, the the everyman, you know, the layman to hear, which is that don't lose faith in humanity just because there are a few bad eggs. It's really, really, really easy to say well you know you can't trust anyone and i i personally i i i don't believe that um i want to think that uh you know if i get a flat tire and i over on the side of the road that the person who pulls up you know behind me is, is there to help and it's that it's that idea of trusting people that innately makes us human and makes us all able to kind of get along with each other so you know i i don't i don't want to leave people hopeless by telling them these sorts of stories and so I always close out security awareness training with, you know, that analogy because it's that ability to trust each other and particularly a stranger that, you know, makes it human. So yes, there are people who are out there that can do bad things to your computer and bad things to your data. However, they are few and far between. So, you know, I take practical security measures and I'm a big fan of practicality when it comes to this, because you can jump off the deep end and do like tinfoil, you know, freak out stuff where you put all your stuff in a Faraday cage. I mean, yeah, you can do that, but it's not really beneficial counterproductive.
0: We're going to have more of this with Jason Lang on the Tech Night Owl Live.
8: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
14: Are you one of the 70% of Americans that want to own your own business? Afraid to leave the security of your current job to pursue your dreams? I'm Pharmacist Keith. Dr. Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, and myself, want to show you a low-cost way to create your own business, working around your current job schedule, creating an extra income for you and your family by joining his crusade, spreading his message of better health. To learn more, visit radio.recordedvideo.com. radio.recordedvideo.com. That's radio.recordedvideo.com.
15: Did Do you know that safe drinking water is the second most essential human need? Don't take your water for granted. Know what you're drinking. Get a ProPure 10 in-home water test kit for just $20, a $39 value, and test for 10 different water contaminants and conditions. Takes about 10 minutes and works with most potable city and well water sources. No salesman will call. Order your test kit today and receive a $20 coupon good towards the purchase of a ProPure water filter system. Visit a participating authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com.
16: Broadcasting to over a 1,000 radio stations, GCN programming is in all of the largest markets. A GCN advertising career could be the business opportunity you've been waiting for. Companies need hardworking representatives just like you to handle their needs, while you earn residual income which can last for years. Companies are buying and they need you. Email advertise at GCNlive.com or call 877-996-4327.
14: Better vision, better value. The LASIK Vision Institute. Make this the year you finally get LASIK. For a free consultation plus an extra 20% discount, text 233 to 350350. You'll see for free if LASIK is right for you. That's do 33 3 to 350350.
17: If
18: you're talking, they will hear you.
14: Why are we getting
6: killed
17: like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why
18: they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. Hear
15: you. You can do it if you try.
13: Know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: Okay, so we're talking here about the tools of the trade and the things that show up at these black hat conferences now apple this i always want to bring up apple because apple always promises to offer superior levels of privacy and superior levels in terms of protecting the customer from security outbreaks but we always hear that somebody finds a way to break into an apple device what happened this year
1: yes well actually there was a guy um i think i if I recall correctly, his name is Ian Beer. I, and the only reason why I know about this, I, I didn't actually see a talk, but I saw it on Twitter. Um, of you know, He had loads and loads of vulnerabilities for Apple that he had reported to them. Um, and what he wanted to do was Apple pays out very, very well uh, for, for bugs based on certain classifications. So if you find a really, really serious bug, um, then you know, that's, that's worth a lot of money. And by a lot of money, I'm talking on the order of tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, so what he wanted to do is he had all these vulnerabilities and he's like, Hey, can we just send all this money to charity? And I thought that was awesome. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know any necessarily quote zero days getting released for things like iOS. Um, there are some people who, uh, discover a vulnerability and release it accidentally. So for example, I think it was about this time last year, uh, that a gentleman who he was a, I think it's a software developer. He discovered That you can bypass the root authentication prompt on macOS just by hitting Enter a few times, and so like if you hit Enter three times, the prompt goes away and you're authenticated as 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 an an administrator. And so he tweeted it out. He's like, "Hey, I think this might be a problem. Uh, Apple, what do you think?" And it got retweeted like loads of times. And in fact, I tweeted back at him like, "Dude, I hope you gained like 10,000 followers from this because that bug was probably worth like a quarter of a million dollars." So you know, there are people who find this stuff and they don't know what to do with it and so there's like hey is this normal and they throw it out online well before companies like apple can react you know people capitalize on that and bad guys will capitalize on that and use it before it gets patched so you know there there are some new attacks i think that are coming out for ios like i said ian had several that um he wants to work with apple on to get fixed i haven't seen any flashy new sexy zero days get dropped Um, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Like I said, Black Hat is huge, and, you know, I can't be everywhere at once.
0: Now, we think about breaking into smartphones more so with personal computers because they are more vulnerable. And it's because there's so many different ways to get into it, or something like an iPhone is fairly well locked down. What about the Android platform?
1: Yeah, so Android is historically less secure than iOS. Um, and it's not necessarily because the operating system itself is insecure, although there have been some really significant vulnerabilities uh, dropped for Android. I think uh, two years ago, the stage fright vulnerability was dropped, where um, if I send you a text that has a link to a video in it and you know, the video automatically renders, I can get remote control of your phone and it's just through a text message. And you don't even have to interact with it. Now, that vulner- or, or Android fixed that, um, but really the, the biggest danger with Android isn't so much the operating system as much as it is the applications in the store. Um, that This is one area where I think Apple really got it right. And a lot of developers, you know, if you're an iOS developer, you might hate it for saying this, but you know, the strict control that Apple imposes on its developers and on its applications um, has led to a higher quality of application. Now, it, it removes control from the developer because the developer might not be able to do certain things that they want to do. And certain applications might not hit the app store, But Android doesn't have that, or at least they they didn't as of a couple years ago. And so there's all kinds of malware that hit the the Android Play Store uh, because that sort of verification wasn't happening. So as far as I understand, you know, wrap it up, it wasn't so much that the operating system was, you know, really insecure, although that has happened. It was more that the applications were insecure and users were downloading insecure applications um, and infecting themselves with malware because, you know, the Android folks didn't do that kind of verification. So. You know, I, I personally have an Android and on my phone, um, I, I don't use my phone for all kinds of like, you know, games, you know, you're not going to party poker on my phone or anything like that. Um, my phone is pretty much, um, a, a business and a personal communications tool. Um, and I don't really go a lot further with it, but a lot of people put all kinds of stuff on their phones. So, you know, my recommendation to those folks is do your research on the application um, and make sure that the reviews are really good reviews and that more than like five people have downloaded it like if you come across an app and it has 500 downloads eh, probably want to avoid that app and go with something else
0: yes what percentage i wonder sometimes of all the favorable reviews you see if her products are really bogus or subsidized or maybe it's sure. the owner of the company or his mother-in-law putting up something <laughs> under a fake name
1: it's, it is entirely possible as far as I understand. I mean, I I don't have any insight into, you know, the review review process. Um, But I mean, that, that stuff has happened before. I mean, you know, was happening with Amazon um, as far as, you know, like fake book reviews and stuff like that. So that kind of stuff is possible, but I can tell you this, um, you know, a hundred million people are not going to do it or, you know, 10 million people are not going to do it. So generally speaking with the most popular communications tools, the most popular games; um, those are pretty well safe because millions and millions of people have downloaded it. Um, and yes, there might be a few fake reviews in there, but you know, not on the order of magnitude where you know you you see for safe applications.
0: You see, I worry about that on Yelp. I also think with a responsible sure. App Store, also, if they find that the developer is putting up fake reviews, they could pull the app if they want. I don't yeah. know how often this happens with the google play store but i kind of think that apple is fairly proactive about this right
1: yeah as far as i understand and normally i don't necessarily go by reviews um i go by download and or i go by installation count or download count so yes it is possible that there are people who have downloaded the app just to increase the download count but i i, I don't think we're talking about Ah, uh, major applications. For example, you're pretty well safe to download the LinkedIn application on iOS as well as Android. Um, you know, it's when you get into the fringe applications, like stuff that nobody has heard of. You know, because it's you know flashy and shiny, and you got a link on somebody's Facebook. That's normally when you kind of get into suspicious territory. And I tell people, hey, listen, do you really need that game, or can you go with something that is a little more popular, a little more well known? So. Um, you know, a lot of times I think people just don't think about it. They're like, oh, you know, my friend said they were playing this game. And so they sent me a link and I decided to start playing the game. And that's, that's great. But, you know, the point being is just have common sense about it. Understand that, you know, if you come across a game that, you know, 50 people have downloaded, well, mm, you know, just be careful. You should, you know, have a little bit of suspicion around that kind of stuff.
0: Have you ever run into a situation personally being someone in the business where you found a fake app or something of that nature?
1: Not personally, because the the way that the business works as far as the testing side of things goes is um, w- we do testing of applications. So for example, you know, let's say that your show released a mobile app and you wanted uh, users to be able to download it, but you were concerned about the security. You didn't know if the developer had good practices. So you would hire somebody like TrustedSec to test the application itself. And so normally speaking, people who uh, want their applications tested are good folks who are trying to do the right thing. Um, and so that really just leaves it up to my, you know, personal experience. And like I said, you know, on my phone, I, I only download, uh, applications that I, um, that I, that I trust and that I know are valid. So, like I said, you know, LinkedIn, uh, Skype, you know, I, I use signal for communications. Um, so there are, you know, several, there, there are several applications on my phone, but most of them are just communications based and they are, they're from trusted, Uh, providers
0: have you ever installed an ios app that was bogus
1: an ios app that was bogus uh no not not that comes to mind um pretty sure i would remember yeah no i'm i i I would not say that i'm a a i am how do I want to put this i'm definitely a power user of my phone but um my uses of it are limited um, where I think a lot of danger can present is games, um, not so much collaboration tools. So, And I don't play a lot of games on my phone, so no, I, I don't think I have.
0: We also offer a special version of this show, free of the network ads, if you subscribe to the Tech Night Owl Plus. And how it works is this, you go to plus.technightowl.com, that's plus.technightowl.com, and prices start at just just $1.49 a week. How about that? That's Tech Night Owl Plus. A little bit later in the show, we're going to catch up with industry analysis, sales trends, and all that stuff, featuring Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. He has been on for a while, so we're glad to have him back. Look at Apple sales, look at sales trends in the PC industry, and why were these people getting sales of the iPhone 10 so wrong? we got more to come on security with Jason Lang. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: We continue with Jason Lang for two more segments exploring the Black Hat Conference. Now... In terms of one of the things that bothers me a little bit about it's a potential, not necessarily something that's a real problem, is the Internet of Things being able to control your thermostats or your washing machine. Is that stuff that's easily hacked?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. There are some, the the, the whole IoT space is kind of like where, as far as I understand, I'm not, I'm not specifically an iot hacker that's a very specialized discipline but i have people i have friends who are and from what i understand from those guys uh it's sort of like where you know windows security was like 10 years ago i mean it's i'm not going to say it's the wild west but there are definitely um a lot of vulnerabilities in the iot space so and a lot of it comes down to things like you know default credentials i was on a an assessment one time where uh, I was, I was testing the network, you know, like pretending like, like I was a hacker inside the network. And, um, I found a ton of devices. I, I didn't know what they were at the time. But they just, they just looked like standard Linux systems, um, that had a, a username and a password of root. So it was just root root for the username and password. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. This, this is this like a honeypot. I mean, who would do this? And so I logged into one of these devices and I did a little bit of research on the device itself. And the device is one of those, um, like, uh, you, you might see on newer conference rooms where like, if you walk into a building, there's like a, a conference there, they're a little like mini tablet that's fixed to the wall right outside the conference room. And, you know, you use it to like register for meetings and stuff like that. And it was using default credentials. And I was like, man, and that's, it's that kind of thing. And I went on to use those devices to, you know, compromise the whole network. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that needs to be, fixed is really, really simple vulnerabilities like default credentials. And a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of folks, a lot of system administrators don't think about it because they're like, oh, you know, it's a device, we plug in the device and it's fine. Well, the problem is that the device is running an embedded Linux kernel and that embedded Linux kernel, it retrieves an IP address from your DHCP and it can make calls out to the internet. And if it can make calls out to the internet, then that means it can call back to my attack server. And now, you know, I'm in your fridge in your stove and stuff like that now i personally have not done that because i i haven't really pen tested any fridges but is that theoretically possible absolutely it is
0: in any case question i would have here is what about that situation with amazon alexa you probably heard about where mm-hmm. husband and wife are talking that conversation is recorded and emailed yeah. to a friend of theirs on their contact lists now when this got out, Amazon apologizes. Oh, it's a mistake and we'll fix it and everything like that. But if they weren't caught, you'd wonder how many other people were impacted by the same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. That's, In fact, that is the exact reason why I don't own any of those devices. I don't have Alexa. I don't have Google Home. I don't have any of that stuff in my house.
0: Well, I sure as heck wouldn't want to get one because I would worry about that. And part of it is and this is the political thing about the purpose of the company and the product, and this is something that Tim Cook of Apple says, therefore you take this with a grain of salt, but you might be correct, which is Apple is selling you products and services for which they make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Amazon is selling you products, and they're selling you. Google is selling a small amount of products, otherwise they're selling you to advertisers. Mm -hmm. So how can you trust them?
1: So what you're talking about is the classic battle between security and convenience. Security is always at war with convenience, always. So for example, if you decide that you want a 25-character password, well, now you have to type in 25 characters instead of eight. If you decide that you want the ability to make a you know FaceTime call to your friend anywhere in the world, you have to buy an iPhone. If you want that convenience, then you have to give up certain you know, pieces of, of your your personal information to those companies. But there's always a choice. You know, there there's a a phone in England, I think it is called the John's phone. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a it's just a phone that has big buttons on it. And then the, the contact book or the contact list in the phone is like a little teeny tiny paper book and pen that you can pull out of the back of the phone. And that's literally all it does. It just makes phone calls. I think you can receive texts on it. But the point being is that if you want the convenience of, you know, being able to, you know, play games and do all that stuff, you give up certain rights to these large companies. And that's a choice that everyone makes.
0: But when Apple is telling you security, 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 other than the obvious issues where a black hat, anyone will find some kind of security problem, which we assume is inadvertent it's just because these devices aren't perfect. Well, can we believe there, Apple?
1: So I, I think you can believe Apple on a few fronts. I think you can believe them when it comes to the verification, of the controls that they put into their app store, and I think you can believe them when it comes to the encryption of their devices. And the battle that the that Apple had with the FBI last year is is proof of that, in my opinion. So, from my experience, um, Apple uh, iOS is probably at this point one of the most secure operating systems in the world, and I have no problem saying that. Windows uh, 10 has made strong improvements. Uh, Mac OS uh, has made strong improvements. But to, in my professional opinion, iOS really shines as being one of the most secure operating systems. Now, the security of the operating system is very, very different than the security of, say, iCloud, where your data is stored. So if you don't have two factor authentication enabled on iCloud and you have a crappy password, Well, guess what, I can just go out to iCloud.com, take your email address, take your your password and log in, and that's even compounded if you reuse the same password across services. And that's how uh, iCloud hacks have happened in the past, because people use the same email address for LinkedIn that they use for iCloud, and then they use the same password for LinkedIn that they use for iCloud. And so it's that kind of using the same credentials over and over and over again, that's a significant problem. And that's why I tell people, don't just use a password manager, also have a unique username uh, for every service and store that username uh, in with a password manager as well. So, you know, do not reuse that same email address, especially if it's an email address that you chose before like 2015, because it's probably a handle that has your, like like if I Google your handle, I can probably find stuff out about you online uh, that you might not want me to see. So use a unique email address, use a unique password for those things.
0: Now, with Apple's iCloud, in addition to your normal email, they give you the uh, ability to create throwaway accounts. Is that what we should be doing?
1: The throwaway account, uh, as far as I understand, is like an OTP. It's a, it's a one-time password. So if, for whatever reason, you can't recall your phone or you want to use an OTP because you don't want to put in your, your password, um, then you can do that. And the, the, the OTP is just like I said, one-time passwords, one-time use, and then it's done. And there are several OTPs that are associated with your account. So I don't necessarily think the average user has to do that. Um, I think if you have a strong password for iCloud, if you have a unique email address for iCloud, and if you enable multi-factor authentication, that is good for quite a wide variety of uh, security scenarios. Um, There are ways to social engineer a two-factor code out of someone, um, but it, it is much harder to do so. Um, it involves me interacting with the person. So
0: Now with multi-factor authentication, what this means is you are logging in with two devices, like you go on your computer, your iPhone, your, your Samsung, and you log in with your normal password or let your password manager do that. And that sends you a verification code, usually in the form of a text message or an email or even a phone call, depending right. on how you are set up. And until you do that, until you use that second login you don't get connected now i've been doing that on more and more devices where they allow it it's not as inconvenient as you think you know if you sit there with your with your phone in front of you and it says you know 9876546100 i by the way made that up there was no genuine there is no genuine (laughs) oh uh, it's good you told me that i'm sitting
1: in my computer right now waiting waiting for you to tell me your code
0: (laughs) well you can wait for about 20 years Oh,
1: okay. Because then I'll be so
0: old I'll be I'll be completely, you know, <laughs> decrepit. And okay. my brain will turn to sawdust. And since my brain will turn to sawdust, which my wife assures me every day has already happened. My right. wife actively assures me every single day that my brain is about to explode. Before we explode your brains, ladies and gentlemen, we've got these announcements for you to listen to in one more segment with Jason Lang on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs>
20: long distance travel or long hours in front of a computer can take its toll on your body
17: get relief for your neck or back pain when you search amazon for sunshine pillows heating wraps and pads often listed as an amazon choice why take another pill now from sunny bay and by customer demand we introduce our extra long neck heating wrap a complete wrap wide and hands-free and brings fast relief to those who suffer from neck or back pain
21: you can easily find sunshine pillows on amazon
17: or search amazon for our new sunny bay disposable heat pads or look for sunny bay heated neck wraps for relief from back pain to menstrual pain and cramps
20: sometimes life can be a pain in the neck or back or shoulder see
17: why our company biomed db design has a lifetime 100 positive rating on both amazon and etsy just go to amazon.com and search sunny bay or call us 253-678-1361
19: Homemakers. Groceries by mail, ships free. Try our amazing bacon. It stores in your pantry. No refrigeration required. Our value-added packaging provides a 10-year shelf life and protects the leanest, thickest, center-cut, fully-cooked bacon in America today. Ready to eat right from the pouch or warm and serve. Always price less than grocery for your everyday use. Savory and delicious. Order today at
10: readytoeatbacon.com. Readytoeatbacon.com
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl. dot com. That's news at technightowl. dot com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at TechnightOwl.com slash radio. That's technightowl. dot com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes.
0: So with the Black Hat, was there a theme that they wrapped up with at the end of it?
1: Um, so Black Hat is still going on. The The conference was uh, several days of training, which is what I was a part of. Um, and then there are what's called the briefings. And the briefings are the, the the standard one-hour talks. So that is still going on today. And then I believe DEF CON picks up tomorrow and runs through Sunday. And as far as the general theme... Historically, from what I can tell, there's not really a general theme other than you know basically just like hack the planet. People will come and they'll, they'll just drop all of their you know crazy security research that they've been doing. You know, I haven't picked up on a theme specifically, but uh, I have seen more defense stuff starting to pop up as well. So, and that's actually really good. And by defense, I mean defenders are releasing their own defense research that will help other defenders thwart attackers. So, I'm seeing a little more of that, um, and that's that's kind of encouraging. So.
0: Well, that's good to know. Of course, we'll never escape them. No. You know, the hackers no. will always be after us. Now, you have a background as a black hat, right?
1: No. No, i sorry, I do not.
0: Okay, you never did that kind of stuff. No. How did you get into the business?
1: So I actually started off um, as a system administrator for Fortune 500. Uh, I did uh, a lot of uh, Active Directory domain admin work, and then my buddy told me I should go get a particular certification uh, called the OSCP, the uh, Offensive Security Certified Professional, and it's a uh, top-notch uh, industry cert. Uh, if you come up to me and you tell me I want to be a pen tester and I have the OSCP, you kind of have immediate credibility with the person. Uh, I, I went and took that, and it was about 400 hours of, of time spent in a lab, breaking into computers, and that's when I really got the itch, so to speak, um, and I shifted my career into penetration testing, and I've been doing that for, I don't know, uh, four or five years now, so...
0: So you're one of those people who at least knows how to break into things. Did you find it easier than you thought it might be? Say, hey, this is too easy.
1: (laughs) So the very, very first time that I sat down at a terminal uh, to do an assessment, I I sat down and I was able to acquire local administrator rights. And then I looked at the passwords that were stored in memory, and there was the password of a domain administrator, which... You know, as you may know, has full control over the entire network. I took that password and I was domain admin, And that took me approximately 30 minutes. And I was like, this has to be fake. And, and I pulled up one of my buddies and I was like, hey, uh, is penetration testing in the real world supposed to be easier or harder than doing something like the OSCP uh, certification? And my buddy was like, oh, it's way easier in the real world, way easier. And I can confirm that. Now that said, I have to tip my hat to uh, defenders um, who have been stepping up to the plate. There have been a few companies that have been doing a really good job improving their detections of tradecraft. Yes, there is still times when it's very, very easy to compromise a network. So I'm talking big networks. You know, It's easy to compromise a network. It can still be easy to exfiltrate data and stuff like that. However, defense has gotten much, much better. I would say in the past 18 months, um, we've seen a lot of really neat products come out that are getting quickly adopted and making my job much harder. And of course, that's the ultimate goal. So
0: the ultimate goal to make it impossible. What about cars? Now, I read a story two, three years back, Fiat Chrysler. I think it's one of their Jeeps or one of their trucks. Yes. And they learned of some kind of security leak in those Mm -hmm. products they had to fix. But one of the ethical hackers we've had on the show, Dr. Timothy Summers, you know him?
1: The name does not ring a bell, but I, I do know a few other car hackers, yes.
0: Okay. He told us that you can build a v- device for $35, and if you get close enough to the person who owns the car, as they are using their key fob to open the mm-hmm. car, unlock it, mm-hmm. you could duplicate that information and take control of their car.
1: Sure. If you want my opinion as to the feasibility of something like that, I would say, sure, it's feasible. The question is, all, is knowing the signals to intercept and then being able to decode the data or decrypt the data. Yes, that, that is absolutely possible. I mean, that kind of technology has existed for like garage door openers for years. I mean, you see stuff like that in like hacker movies where there's a hacker parked outside and, you know, the target opens their garage door and, you know, the, the, the signal gets recorded. Yes, that, that stuff is absolutely possible.
0: I heard of this being done with cell phones because you see it so often on TV. Can that be done anymore?
1: So it kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier, which is that you can do that with cell phones, but you need a cell phone interceptor. So, you you have to build what's effectively a mini cell phone tower, and the signal strength of that tower has to be stronger than the user's signal strength that they're getting from their existing tower, which is easy to do if your antenna has enough wattage and you're basically willing to get cancer from it. So, you know,
0: people- <laughs> I like that. Okay, you have to be willing <laughs> to get cancer. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, just to put this in mind, if you want to steal someone's cell phone with one of these devices, be prepared to want to get cancer. But if you don't care, you want to live high on the hog for a couple of years, would matter.
1: Right? You can buy uh, antennas on eBay from China. Actually, I, I don't think they are made in the or they're, they're, they are made in the United States, but I think they are made for purchase in the United States. But you can buy, still buy them from China that have enough wattage to be able to pull something like this off. So if your signal strength is stronger than their cell phone signal strength, the user's phone will connect to your your tower because that's how they're programmed to do. And that puts you in a man in the middle position to be able to see all the traffic that's flowing, you know, record calls and all that kind of stuff. So it is possible. But as far as I know, um, I've never pulled off this attack myself. It's base. It's pretty rare. And, and when, when I say rare, I mean, rare from an attacker standpoint, like a black hat. It might be very, very common from a governmental standpoint, but that's a whole nother conversation.
0: Does the government, the U.S. government, have the tools to do all the stuff that you guys outside? can do
1: yes absolutely
0: so whatever a black hat can accomplish they should be able to in theory do the same thing oh well i am really about ready to give it all up now what about the common things like wi-fi networks now of course when you go to a hotel like i'm in a motel right now and we have the wi-fi network they provide us this is it this is where we can get our internet either that or i use the cell phone network and have it hotspot to my computer which just uses up a lot of data if I'm using the hotel's network, it's not safe.
1: No, correct. It's not. Certainly, you're actually probably more safer to use the blackout wireless than you are the hotel wireless. Whenever I travel, I use a fi device. I, I do not connect to the hotel network um, unless I actually have to. And if I have to connect to the hotel network, I use a VPN.
0: And this would be a good reason for us to all have VPN logins.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Is it expensive?
1: So there are some free ones and there are some more expensive ones. The one that I use is Trust.Zone. It's one that's gotten good reviews. I admit there are lots and lots and lots of these providers. Another one that I used in the past was AirVPN. That worked great. Um, Both services have worked really well. So the question when it comes to choosing a VPN provider is the amount of anonymity that you get. A lot of VPN providers will tell you that they do not keep logs. You kind of have to take their word for it. They'll they'll disclose or they'll they'll redact and then disclose um, something that they had to provide for court. That is all the data that they have. Uh, AirVPN did this a couple of years ago. You know, they do not keep a lot of data. They disclose everything they had. And it was basically like this IP address connected to this uh, server at this time. There's no traffic logs at all.
0: Jason Lang, please tell our listeners where we can find more of your stuff.
1: Sure. Yeah. The the company that I work for is called TrustedSec. um, And that is just www.trusted, the word trusted, and then the letters SEC, trustedsec.com. Dave Kennedy is our founder. um, And you can find me as well as a bunch of other testers there. Um, I'm also on Twitter, and uh, if you know where where to find me on Trust and Sex website, you'll be able to find me on Twitter.
0: Jason Lang, thank you so much for joining us on the Tech Live.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be on. Thank
8: you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
21: If you owe money to the IRS, you need to hear this. The IRS is cracking down on those who owe back taxes. It starts with a devastating letter. And if you don't act immediately, you could find yourself having your wages garnished or have a lien placed on your property. But there's a solution. Tax 10,000 can help. Avoid enforced compliance, where these holds on your income and seizure of your home could become a nightmare that just won't end. Call 800-239-9957 now and speak to one of our experts. 800-239-9957 is the number to link you directly to a tax resolution specialist Who will negotiate with the IRS on your behalf? Working through the IRS Fresh Start Program, all the forms will be handled for you. All you have to do is make the toll free call, 800 239 9957. Find out if you qualify and possibly save yourself thousands of dollars, not to mention a lot of headaches. It could be the best call you've made today. That number again, 800 239 9957. The service does not provide tax settlement or legal services. We will refer you to a company that does provide such services. Often the IRS will not agree to any reduction in the amount owed. Not all taxpayers who owe more than $10,000 will qualify for a tax reduction program.
5: Have you?
7: All right,
17: crew,
22: let's get her dug.
21: Honey, you wanna give me
11: a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember?
22: No matter how large or small, your digging project may be, no matter how urban, Communication cables and water and sewer lines. So, before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects, big or small, make the call to 811, brought to you by Common Ground Alliance.
13: What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to The Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: So it's been a while since we talked to Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. And I was asking him before we started why we're exchanging dog stories. And he said at least six months, maybe more, Stephen, or maybe it was yesterday. Yeah, it feels like six I, months.
23: I, I, yeah. I missed it. I've just been a very busy 2018 for me.
0: Has it? Do you find all this talk about now that Apple's a trillion-dollar company has made any difference, or is it just a bunch of numbers?
23: Uh, you know, um, milestones are awesome, and they're, they're great for everybody to stop for a minute and kind of think about what the milestone means. Uh, but, you know, get stuck for a minute, and then you have to get back on the horse and keep moving. And um, I think that's kind of what we It's an interesting point. We all have our different viewpoints on how relevant the uh, stock market is. We do every day, so we don't want to get too political there. But, um, you know, congratulations to them for doing something uh, no one else did, and it's certainly a testament to all the, the people there who bring great products over the last uh, 30 years.
0: Now, one big thing, of course, we can bring up when looking at the sales picture, in the June quarter, max sales were down, what is it, 13% in unit sales, 5% in financials whereas a lot of the PC industry, they seem to do a little bit better. So is Apple be falling behind the curve here, or is it just one of those quarters?
23: Well, um, first thing always to remember about uh, growth numbers is uh, the most important number that drives your growth this quarter is how you did last year during this quarter. Uh, I know it seems self-evident, but for some people it's not always. Um, they had pretty good quarter the year before they were very aggressive on price both getting and all the way through the back to school season in 2017 with aggressive promotions and uh, aggressive pricing and uh, trying to deliver really really strong comparisons against that uh, Certainly they struggled a little bit in the last quarter, and I suspect they'll struggle a little bit during the calendar Q3 as well. I don't think that's a long-term kind of an issue. It is just how you manage the business, and sometimes um, you're able to drive some volume, as they were in 2017, but you probably can't do the same kind of numbers in 2018, given the, the dynamics of the market.
0: Of course, it didn't hurt last year when at the WWDC in June, early June, they basically updated many of the Macs. Right. So
23: they updated them. They had um, a lot of uh, inventory where they aggressively pushed a lot of product through, especially uh, July and August last year. Back to school pricing was very aggressive, both from Apple, but especially from their partners, and that drove... Um, a lot of volume. And, you know, as we, we saw, they had very strong numbers all the way through the beginning of the holiday in 2017. And the holiday numbers in 2017 were very weak uh, because they were com- comping against the 2016 introduction of the, the new MacBooks with the touch bars. So, you know, again, that's not... To say they weren't selling a lot, they just had, you know, tough comparisons. Uh, we've seen throughout this year that their sales have been a little flat, and I think you haven't really seen a big uptick yet with uh, uh, new processors and, and you know, up- updates they've been talking about. So, uh, you know, I think um, they're in for some, some tough times in Q3 from a growth
0: perspective. Now, when it comes to things like personal computers, all the PC vendors are basically in the same boat. They've got to wait for Intel to get the chips out. And Apple certainly put more powerful chips, a lot more powerful chips, in the 2018 MacBook Pro. Unfortunately, it didn't ship until July. Is that going to make a difference? Or should Apple, if they could, and we never know with Intel, should they have maybe introduced more updates?
23: Um, I don't think uh, Apple needs to be on quite as fast a cadence as the Windows OEMs do. Um, You know, they they have their own operating system. They have, at some level, a a market, while part of the overall PC market is is very separate. I I don't think they have to mimic what happens uh, over there in the Windows side. I do think, um, you know, for the Windows guys, they do need to... To create those upgrades over time, and obviously, the last year or so, Intel's had some some challenges getting getting product out, and I don't think that's helped the Windows um, Windows market uh, appreciably or the OEMs, uh, but I don't think it's hurt it particularly either. I think you know we're in a we're in an age today where um, a lot of the focus right now in in notebooks has been around form factor and Kind of the externals, uh, thinner and lighter and uh, thinner bezels, better screens, uh, some of those kind of things. And there's been a lot of uh, challenges around costs. You know, we've had a lot of uh, cost challenges in DRAM and SSDs and screens. So there's been a lot of maneuvering on the Windows side over the last year or so because they play in a lower margin business than Apple does well um so it it's not great when when intel is a little bit behind but i don't think that's been the that's the primary opportunity for apple to do better nor do i think it's the primary uh, issue either for forwards or backwards up or down for the windows oems
0: now when it comes to pc sales a lot of those new sales are to businesses upgrading old hardware am i right there
23: uh, well we see some of that um, you know I, I think some of that has been is a little bit overblown I think we're we're seeing the maybe the little fat part of that um, gradual shift in businesses from Windows 7 to Windows 10 uh, but you know it's important to remember that uh, it's very gradual and that in an age of software as a service, uh, the idea that I have to go upgrade a whole bunch of clients because there's a new operating system that that thought process is kind of moot today. Uh, that's, that's not really how a company thinks about things um, because it is kind of a ongoing process as opposed to a, a one time change. So there's plenty of, plenty of time for a, organizations to make the decision about moving from Windows 7. But as we get a little bit further along and the uh, products get older, then you do start to see uh, some upgrades. But I think the primary uh, driver today is just that, is a bit of an age and not necessarily um, the operating system. Because going forward, uh, you know, Windows is going to be on the same kind of cadence that that Macs are on, right? We're going to deliver operating systems, and you know, we very rarely see much of a bump on a um, change in the Mac OS, and I suspect that's the uh, that's a good glimpse into the future uh, on the Windows side as well. Um, that said, you know, there's still plenty of activity on the consumer side uh, in terms of um, some strong Volumes in areas like gaming, um, seen some continued uh, incredible growth numbers out of the uh, Chrome market for consumers. So there's lots of interesting stuff going on um, on the consumer side as well.
0: We've got Stephen Baker at the NPD Group. More to come on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs>
20: Message and data rates may
14: apply. Remembering when to change your fridge filter is a hassle. Remembering the right filter is almost impossible. So at Filters Fast, we have some good advice. Forget it. Instead, remember this. Text BEST55 to 443-443 and check fridge filters off your to-do list forever. Get it all taken care of for a fraction of big box store prices with a Filters Fast brand filter. Text best55 to 443443. That's B E S T 55 to 443443 443. thats best 55 to 443 443.
13: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
0: With Stephen Baker of the NPD Group, we were looking at PC sales, focus a little bit on Mac sales, whether the drop-in sales has any significance or it's just what is now with apple i guess people tend to look for the upgraded models because they make such a big deal i mean and the pc side they're constantly upgrading their hardware but it doesn't get that central focus because there's so many out there am i wrong
23: no uh you know there's many many windows oems and there's only one mac os oem so You know, there isn't that kind of hardware competition among different companies. Apple's really just competing around their different product lines. So don't see that kind of um, impetus to happen. So you do see when, when Apple does decide to upgrade, whether it's upgraded chassis or form factors or upgraded processors, you you typically see some kind of an increase. Uh, Over time, especially in the upgraded processor side, clearly they're a little bit less. um, That's a little bit less of a focus for them uh, than it has been in the past. And we don't see, even there, quite the same bump as we used to see in in previous years. those, those changes are a little less, less important than they've been in the past. Form factor changes, on the other hand, for Apple, always drive a pretty big uh, short-term increase, uh, again, because they don't spend a lot of time having to compete with other similar brands in terms of their finish and
9: the look and feel
0: of the product. Every time Apple comes out with something new, there seem to be those criticisms And since the original 2016 MacBook Pro came out, there was a perception that Apple didn't make it pro enough. And they cited, for example, the limit of 16 gigabytes RAM, which is the same as previous Mac notebooks. And this year, Apple is offering 32 with a larger battery to support the increased power used by a different memory controller, all that stuff. They got a six core processor on the 15 inch model. So, did Apple do that just to address the people who said wasn't pro enough? And is it not pro enough? Uh, you know... Um, I, th- I think he wants to hit his I head against the, 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 the wall pain. right now when I ask that question. Go ahead.
23: Yeah, you know, there's always a segment of people who are going to complain about everything. You know, one of the challenges of being Apple is how can you be all things to all people, from one company. Sometimes things don't happen. We don't create that kind of hardware to address every single usage for every single potential customer. Uh, You know you see a lot more of that kind of segmentation on the Windows side because that's one of the ways multiple OEMs will compete with each other. Apple doesn't have that and it's again it's very hard for them to be to break things down into very, very small niches in against uh, all sorts of different kinds of customers. Their business model tends to be much more of a, a one-size-fits-all uh, kind of a, a model, and you're always gonna get people who are gonna be unhappy when something that they had, uh, they expected doesn't uh, materialize, so, it's nice that they change those things for those people uh, hopefully that didn't add costs across everyone because somebody's buying a consumer who's buying a 1299 MacBook Pro doesn't really want to have to pay for those upgrades that are going to sit make a 2499 MacBook Pro customer happy um, they shouldn't have to pay for those. So again, it's a balancing act, and it's easy to complain when you're on this side. When you're on their side, obviously it's a lot harder to balance all those competing interests to come up with a, a product that works the best for the most users.
0: Now that, of course, maybe explains to some degree why Apple offers very few Macs where you can upgrade RAM. And I think the perception from some of the people I talk to is that, most people don't need it most people never change their ram it's like a toaster oven i hate to use that metaphor right. but they take the mac they use it until it drops or whatever and they buy a new one they don't think oh i can add memory to it so there's no point i guess on the part of apple Thus, it also adds a little bit of complexity maybe it adds more service calls because if you offer the opportunity to upgrade ram not everyone's going to run to the store to do it they'll do it themselves.
23: Right, right, so again, I think that's a perfect example of something where there there's likely to be some kind of hidden cost to creating an opportunity for people to upgrade, and you can even even though you may say that you can only upgrade on certain models and those are more expensive models, you know the base of the product line tends to be pretty similar uh, across all the different different models, so If you offer uh, those kind of opportunities and there's an added component cost or an added uh, assembly complexity, and those costs have to be passed on to everybody, not just the customers at the premium level. So, like I said, balancing act, try to do what you can that makes the most people happy within your cost envelope. As I said, they're a little limited because. They don't have the kind of wide range of products that you're going to get on the window side.
0: Something has to be compromised. Anyway, so that's it, but there's not like it's not there's... not a bad thing. Compromise, is... Compromise isn't a bad word, Gene, right?
23: right? I think it would be, would behoove everybody in the U.S. right now to remember that in all sorts of areas of, of the world. Compromise isn't a bad thing, and we all make value judgments every single day, and cost-benefit cost benefit judgments. If you're not happy, then you have to find something that's going to make you happy.
0: Well, if you don't like a Mac, buy something else. Or maybe you want to become an owner of a Hackintosh. Did you ever look at that? Do many people use these hacked-together PCs using special hardware and customizations to run Mac OS?
23: I'm sure that there's not a lot of that. Uh, I always look at those kind of guys as the same thing as people, for example, who are still, you know, build their own desktops or some of those kind of things. There's there's a community of hackers, of tinkerers, of guys who like to uh, their uh fingernails dirty. Maybe when you and I were growing up, those were all the dads who were out in the driveway tuning the spark plugs or changing the oil on their their cars, uh, since you really can't do a lot of that. Nowadays, uh, all those people have to have a different outlet. And a lot of the outlet for a lot of them in, in today's world is finding ways to tinker around with electronics.
0: Well, that's quite different. When I was a kid, I was the kind of person who tinkered with everything. And I think part of it is that you had fewer at that particular point in time fewer complete products everything you know was a little bit hackable anyway in terms of being able to modify it or use it in a particular way so i built radio kits i built fm tuner kits i built amplifier kits i did all that kind of stuff but now nobody thinks about it you just in a sense steve jobs was right in the introduction of the first mac turn on use it in fact even now they're trying to yep. automate more and more the process of upgrading software make it more automated so it just it's just there you wake up in the morning and there's a new operating system you don't have to fret over it that's a good thing that's a good thing in any case here i want to get to another thing here that's interesting i like to talk a little bit about the iphone and specifically the iphone 10 and maybe you know better than i do certainly you should about why these stories arose so we had all these reports coming in late in 2017 through 2018 that based on supply chain estimates apple was having an awful time selling the iphone 10 that they cut back on orders from different suppliers that sort of thing and then we're all expecting the bottom to fall out of Apple's stock so for the december quarter We have Tim Cook saying, Oh, it was a number one best selling iPhone. Look at the average sale price. And in the March quarter, same predictions, same results. Our number one smartphone is the iPhone 10. Average sale price above last year. Same for the June quarter. And I'll ask you in our next segment, why the disconnect? More to come with Stephen Baker. I'm Gene Steinberg here in the Tech Night Out Live.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: The Eternal Disconnect iPhone X sales How could these outsiders get it so wrong? Well, there's
23: a couple reasons, but let's start with the real basic ones, which is inventory doesn't equate to sales volume. Sell in is not sell through. As a company that works with and tracks sell through, I have a pretty good view and a pretty big commitment to the idea that the most important thing is... The very end of the supply chain and the real thing to worry about is not what's happening one or two or three layers back in the supply chain the real thing to worry about is what happens when the salesman talks to the consumer or the sales rep is at the company and somebody buys something that's the end of the road and that's what's most important a lot of these People lose sight of that and they try to guess at what's happening at the end of the sales cycle because they don't really know, maybe they're not NPD clients, but if they knew, then they would have a little bit better understanding. So they're always trying to make all these guesses all the way through. Um, Sure, you can glean some things from back parts of the supply chain, but at the end of the day, Building stuff and selling stuff are two separate uh, activities, and it's not a seamless one-for-one relationship, and clearly, as Apple shows all the time and as uh, Tim Cook tends to talk about in most conference calls, you can spend a lot of time looking at that, but you don't really know. Those aren't the same kind of signals that everybody thinks they are. There's really only one good signal, and that one good signal is what happened when someone bought it.
0: And Apple knows that, certainly, how many products it sells. And one thing Tim Cook has said, that you shouldn't use a couple of metrics from the supply chain to guess what demand and sales are, because Apple is constantly adjusting orders from different suppliers, and this is what Tim Cook's expertise has been. And just seeing that supplier A is selling less doesn't mean supplier C isn't selling twice as much and making money hand over fist.
23: Right. I would also add that supply chain information comes from the supply chain who tends to have a vested interest in how to position those kind of things, and whether it's with investors or competitors or the people they supply, like Apple. So if there are ways that they can put pressure. I think what's really interesting for looking back at that supply chain is that there's, that information always comes from businesses that are in the supply chain who have a vested interest in what happens there. So they are making statements or leaking things that may or may not hurt suppliers upstream or customers downstream um they have a vested interest in they're trying to manipulate things to help their business so when you finish all this and look um again um they can all those numbers can come out but the one thing that they can't manipulate is the sales number
0: well certainly the, if apple manipulated sales numbers and this is what people sometimes don't understand apple would be in humongous trouble
23: yep there's uh there 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 are a lot of rules about how you can and can't report things so um as a trillion dollar public company i think apple is um going to do its best to to follow those kind of accounting rules
0: do you think though that and this is obviously asking for guesses that may not even be valid some of the people who talk down Apple's sales or stock are doing it to protect their own personal interests.
23: Sure, everybody is always trying to protect their own uh, personal interests. Uh, I'm sure there's a little bit, like I said, jealousy or uh, supply chain competition trying to, to change some of those kind of things, um, change the perception. Uh, I'll also add, Um, On the other side, that um, sometimes I think the people who follow Apple are a little sensitive and um, they over-ascribe value to things that are said that don't have a lot of value. A lot of people talk. A lot of people don't really have very much information. But we often find that um, people make kind of wild statements and... While we all know they're not true, uh people maybe who are apple supporters they hate to turn it into detractors and a supporters kind of thing. Um, they sometimes use those outrageous statements as evidence of um, how Apple is not being treated right or something like that um, so in in those outrageous statements, no one accepts those no one thinks those have any any validity so uh it it does cut in a little bit both ways um so you have got to take everything i think with a little bit of grain of salt
0: also have to look that each company is going to spin things in a way that even if the information is not as favorable they're going to spin it but let's look at the smartphone industry It's fair to say now, because we've seen lower sales from Samsung, that for the most part, the market is heavily, heavily saturated. So is Apple's approach mostly to build more pricey gear, sell the pricey gear to get higher sales, and then sell the services to make up? It certainly seems that services are showing a tremendous increase in terms of sales. So certainly this is one indication, get more money out of the existing customers.
23: Um, well, that seems to be where they're going. Although I think the word makeup is probably not, not the, not the phrasing I would use. I think um, th- there's, there's a virtual circle in there, which is that um, Apple sells a premium product. Uh, premium customers are more likely to consume incremental services after the purchase of the device. Therefore, when you are more and more focused on premium customers, uh, you will get more and more aftermarket service revenue because naturally those are the kind of customers um, who who are gonna kind of buy more services. It's kind of the same as, you you get a lot more ink uh, revenue on a $10,000 ink printer because people who buy those are buying it because they use it all the time versus somebody who buys a $100 printer. Um, They probably are only very casual users.
0: Well, Apple is certainly doing everything it can to increase their services revenue. We look, for example, at their TV shows that they're producing Right. and Apple Music, where they claim now they have more Apple Music subscribers in the U.S., only in the U.S., than Spotify. And then I think Tim Cook said they're not interested in making money or do not expect to make money from Apple Music. But it certainly keeps people connected to your platform.
23: Well, I, I, I'm not familiar with that, him saying that, but I think, you know, the idea is to get money from customers in a whole bunch of different areas, whether it's from selling them music or selling them video or selling them cloud services or selling them Apple care plans. They have a number of ways to do that. uh, To app store, right? There's a lot of different ways that they can generate revenue after the, the sale of the
0: phone. Well, Apple is certainly doing that. Now, we got more to come with Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Nine Now Live.
2: Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget.
20: How well and how fast does Heart and Body Extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen.
9: My name is Ellis, and I'm 66 years old, and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Two years ago, I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. They wanted me to go on Plavix, but I refused knowing the negative side effects.
20: Heart and body extract is a unique balance, synergy, and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level.
9: Within the first month, I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced, and within two months, I felt completely to normal.
20: Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. Heart and Body Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Call 866-295-5305, 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract.
4: Aging is one thing that affects everyone. George has talked about the power of stem cells for years. Now there's a new serum that
2: harnesses that stem cell power to bring back your youthful look. Beverly Hills doctor,
12: Nathan Newman. Stem cells are basically our fountain of youth. This is what maintains our body's reparative, regenerative abilities. As we age, every cell breaks down and has to be replaced, and what replaces it is the stem cell. Dr. Newman and
2: Jeunesse have developed Luminesce. S takes the science of stem cells using the same growth factor complex that literally heals our cells, slowing the appearance of the aging process. Apply Lumin twice daily and on average see results in a week. Learn more, watch our video and order today at a special coast website, healthylooking.com. Plus there's a 30-day money back guarantee. Again, that's healthylooking.com. Lumin for a healthier, much younger, better looking you. Buy now at healthylooking.com.
19: Bake
0: So I've got to this point here talking about Mac sales being somewhat less and about the iPhone, about saturation and stuff like that, as to whether that makes a difference. Do you cover much of uh, cable TV industry at all?
23: Mostly not.
0: Not really. Okay, because I wanted to get into a little bit of Apple TV, but that, of course, takes us into cord cutting and all those complexities. and
23: I mean, I could talk a little bit about the hardware, not necessarily about you know the content
0: stuff. Okay, then we know, for example, that the Apple TV is the most expensive of the set-top streamers. Roku, right. I guess, is tops in sales, am I correct?
23: Yes, the, the, app, the Amazon products sell a lot as well.
0: All right, so, so therefore, as far as Apple is concerned, their product is like a poor stepchild to all the others but then i see apple doing things to boost sales like for a while i don't know if the promotion's in effect anymore but if you subscribe to direct tv now which is their streaming service you pay for three months in advance what do you get a free apple tv i think they also offer it with roku so apple is apple making a deal with at and to do this or Did AT&T, through its DirecTV division, make a deal like that?
23: Well, I'm sure it was with the DirecTV uh, division um, in terms of doing that. Those things are are great, and they're nice. Um, The business is moving away from the boxes being the most important piece of how you uh, monetize and manage the uh, people's absorption of content and it, the operating system is very important as well and you know one of the places that Roku has had real success is getting their operating system directly on televisions so you don't have to buy a box they've had great success with companies like TCL and others Amazon is obviously going, has gone down that route uh, by partnering with Best Buy to put the Fire OS on some of their TVs. Google has Android TV that's on Sony televisions. Um, That's a really important way for you to promulgate your television operating system. Get it out there and then be able to to monetize that through advertising and the other things that you know now that roku's public we can see what a great job that they've done around the box but really more and more not about the hardware but around monetizing the operating system
0: of course we have the tcl sets which have gotten good reviews with roku now with vizio they use google chromecast and they've got a smartcast app for mobile yep. devices and the recent tvs have the app built in with a subset of the particular services you want so if you want like hulu or you want voodoo or you want netflix on the Vizio, that's very easy it's just one tap click on your remote and it comes right up no problem it's embedded built in now would apple be better off doing the same thing with tv makers or i know they're making a deal now with charter for their cable subscribers to offer apple tv do i assume that's going to be something where the people will get a special price if they buy it or what
23: i'm not familiar with the details of the agreement with uh charter but i think that's an area that apple clearly has to to think about what they're trying to do pretty much impossible for any of us to imagine Apple allowing someone else to install their operating system on non Apple branded hardware. Um, you know, that ended 20 something years ago, and it's hard to imagine that they're ever going to do that again. Um, the challenge is that they have to create a better ecosystem around the Apple TV that makes customers want to use that instead of the native applications that are on the television, um, that the integration and the seamlessness of an Apple TV and an Apple, uh, you know, an iPad and an iPhone uh, creates a better experience for a customer than having, you know, using the Roku app on the television or having a Roku box or et cetera. We've actually done, in in some of our business, some some work around looking at what the uh, kind of overlaps are, and I think uh, between Apple TV and other other areas, and I think you do see that when you think about an ecosystem, uh, Apple television connection is probably the weakest link in their ability to build the same kind of ecosystems that somebody like Amazon or Google. trying to build
0: so where does apple go with the apple tv since it does seem to be an underachiever at the very beginning though it was the number one streaming device right uh
23: i i'd have to go back i was it was a while ago roku has always had a very strong strong platform there so i'm not going to say they were or they weren't but I think they, they were in a better position in previous years than they're in right now, for sure. Um, they do have to do something. I think it's also, honestly, and this kind of maybe blows this up a little bit further than we want to go right at the moment, but it's it's really about how the smart home and the smart home ecosystem is starting to build and um you know, there are opportunities around that to maybe for Apple, if they could get HomeKit uh, into more places and more Apple-connected uh, home devices that, that would help support maybe the Apple TV being part of the, you know, central controlling mechanisms um, around home. But clearly, uh, this is an area where they're not quite, uh, so far ahead that their dominance on the phone and on a on mobile platforms hasn't um, benefited them to the same extent as it has in other areas. And we do see a lot of growth and a lot of interesting things, obviously, happening around, happening around smart home and around that content. Apple's got a lot of competitors and a lot of different... Uh, things that they have to do, you know sometimes they have to compete with Amazon, sometimes they have to compete with Google and Macs they're competing with Microsoft. Uh, you know so they have a lot of different areas where they try to have to try to uh, find the right um, right way to thread the needle to get the right products out there. It's a challenge, but this is certainly an area where the leverage. That they're able to exert from their strength on the on the mobile side just has not uh, played out like a lot of people thought it would.
0: Let me give you a personal example of my use of an Apple TV. I have a third generation, still have it, disconnected from the TV, and I'll tell you why. In our next segment, we have Stephen Baker at the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Owl Live. Yeah.
15: Did you know that safe drinking water is the second most essential human need? Don't take your water for granted. Know what you're drinking. Get a ProPure 10 in-home water test kit for just $20, a $39 value, and test for 10 different water contaminants and conditions. takes about 10 minutes and works with most potable city and well water sources. No salesman will call. Order your test kit today and receive a $20 coupon good towards the purchase of a ProPure water filter system. Visit a participating authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com.
22: Call AIG Direct for a free, no-obligation quote. The call takes less than five minutes, and you could save up to 70%. Call now, 1-800-910-7981. That's 1-800-910-7981.
10: 1-800-910-7981
22: Have you had credit challenges, divorce, bankruptcy, or just haven't established your credit yet? If so, getting a decent car loan can be tough. The good news is that there is a place where you can get a car loan at a fair price regardless of your credit situation. Auto Loan Express can make it happen now when you visit NewCar99.com. Here's the deal. If you have a regular job, then there's no reason to keep taking the bus or repairing that old junker. Go to NewCar99.com today and fill out our simple online application. We accept over 99% of applicants and can get you behind the wheel of your new car with just a few strokes of your keyboard. No hassles. No third degree. Just fill out the simple online application and start shopping for your next car. So when you're ready to get on the road with your new car loan, visit us online at newcar99.com, where we accept 99% of all applications. newcar99.com. If you have a job, then you qualify. Here's to you and your new car. Visit newcar99.com. newcar99.com.
13: You're listening to The Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: More with Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. And what I said before is I, I have an Apple TV third generation. I no longer use it. Why? Well, sometime back, I got a Vizio TV set, 4K. This is one that the manufacturer shipped out and everything for review. And I set the thing up, and I was a subscriber to Netflix and the very cheapest cable I could get. So with Netflix, no longer need the Apple TV. You just press a button on the Vizio remote, there's Netflix. I log into my account, and that's it. Picks up where I left off. I hadn't touched the Apple TV in like six months. Because I was using it for that and for Apple's own movie rentals. But then Voodoo from Walmart gives you the same, pretty much the same rentals. So they both offer 4K. So I don't need Apple TV and I don't need an Apple TV device. So for me, no need. Now, as more and more TV sets offer decent interfaces on their smart features, is that eventually going to really hurt the... Set top box business for streamers, other than of course Roku or someone who embeds the technology in a device.
23: Well, like I said, right at the very beginning, right? Amazon doing pretty well uh, with with devices, but uh, their focus has been to try to find ways to get the Fire OS embedded on televisions. That's kind of their next piece, and they're trying to do some leverage we could, uh, this probably brings us all the way into home pods and things, but, you know, they've been trying to use the leverage of the Echo family of products in the Alexa voice system, uh, as well as part of that around the TV. Google, as you mentioned, working with Vizio, also work with Sony. They're trying to do some of the same kind of things with the Google Assistant in terms of that helping to be part of the the television platform and obviously Roku as we said trying to further and further getting away from just being a hardware company and driving their software onto more and more TVs and at some level that that leaves a very very difficult measure for Apple in terms of how do I compete there you can make an argument right that even Netflix as you mentioned, I can just hit an app, and there it is. Almost becomes a ecosystem or a replacement for your operating system at at some level. So it's a really tough uh, position for them. Some of their strengths have been diluted because the market has shifted um, away from dedicated hardware and more and more into the television and into other devices around the home where their strength hasn't been quite as good at this, in the last few years.
0: Now, is that going to help at all, the fact that Apple is planning to produce its own TV shows, and I have no idea how it's going to be done Do you? Is it going to be part of Apple Music, offered separately, or what?
1: Well, um,
0: I think
23: no one's, I don't think they've really articulated that. I think for most people, the hope is that as they do those kind of things, that maybe they'll take that opportunity to um, play around with iTunes and uh, maybe make it a little bit um, less of a kind of all encompassing one piece of software and maybe, um, you know, break it up a little bit so that consumers who want to use one piece of it are not forced into other other pieces of it, you know, to maybe separate out music and video and the management of your iPhone and apps and everything else is, um, can be kind of a, a challenge, right? I'm not going to use some of the words that people have described iTunes as, but I think Part of the strategy of building your own, or creating your own content and coming more, more like Netflix could certainly be trying to create a more focused uh, way to attack somebody like Netflix or Amazon with a, um, with a product that isn't maybe quite so unwieldy.
0: Speaking of Netflix, I also noticed with Netflix, some of the cable DV companies, I know some of the contour boxes from Cox are included. I forget who else, Comcast maybe. They're including Netflix on their boxes. I assume that requires a separate in-app subscription or something like that, or just picks up your existing account. But is that a way for these companies to work with Netflix and the problem of possibly exceeding your bandwidth cap with Netflix would certainly give the cable companies more money?
23: yes you 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 do usually you have have your own netflix subscription um you can do that in hotel rooms as well um i was just in a hotel where i could watch netflix or there was a few others that were integrated into the um to the channel guide um you know i think what it does is uh maybe not as much uh bring money in but it keeps people more engaged and less willing to cut the cord from Xfinity or or someone else uh, because Netflix is integrated in there, into the channel guide. You know, we're thinking about it maybe in a whole bunch of different ways. Maybe it's best to just think about it the same way you think about HBO, right? You pay for HBO. If you do, it's part of the channel guide. You can click on it and watch stuff. Why shouldn't you be able to do that with Netflix or Hulu or someone else or Amazon even? I guess someone is actually now, um, I don't remember which one, is, is integrating Prime Video into their channel guide as well.
0: Okay, so in that way, if you can't beat them, join them. And that's a way for the cable companies to work with people who want to cut the cord to say, you know what, we'll give you a good deal here, and you get Netflix if you want or Hulu or whatever.
23: It maintains the irrelevance. Uh, I, I don't really think it's about, you know, data caps and those kind of things. There's not universal um, kind of charges of your using too much data uh, on a broadband perspective. Certainly there are some places where that happens, but that, that's not um, generic the way it is on your phone. And I'm, I I suspect that over time, those caps will continue to go up so that very few people actually go over them kind of the same way we've seen in the, on the phone side. So I don't see that as being driving part of it. I think the driving reason to get Netflix and Hulu and others into the channel guide is really to maintain the subscription and maintain your relevance to the consumer and give them a bunch of choices and give them something that they want, which is um, Netflix or Hulu. And, you know, if you look at it as integration, it fits very well into what we just spent five minutes talking about, about Roku and, integrated tv os's and all those other kind of things and again it points to the challenge that in these kind of environments apple has where they want to maintain very tight control of the user experience uh both from a software perspective and a hardware perspective and they have been you know reluctant to uh allow others to create um create integration and you know in this environment as things are changing that right now seems like a um, very difficult strategy to execute on
0: well it's the early stages for apple and one would think that they'll find other methods like we have the home pod very few people are buying I guess that's 6% of the smart speaker market, and I want to ask you about that. Smart speakers, whether they're smart enough. And I come out of the early days when I was a wee lad building my own radio kits and stuff. We've got Stephen Baker of the NPD Group for one more segment. I'm Gene Steinberg. here in the Tech Night Alive. Live.
16: Uh-oh.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
0: As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer?
18: Call for closure protection services now at 800-667-9035. 800-667-9035. That's 800-667-9035.
13: you're listening to the tech night Owl live with gene steinberg you never know what's going to happen next
0: so home pod true you that bet. not many people are buying them
23: the numbers we see
0: would indicate
23: that on a unit basis, it's not flying off the shelves. The numbers that you, you quoted around 6%, um, some of those seem very high to me. Um, some of them are more about the revenue versus the unit. Well, obviously dollars are, are pretty important uh, in the early days of, or the mid days, maybe where we are in uh, voice speakers certainly google and amazon are much more focused on install base and growing the user base and it's very hard to grow the user base with a 350 and fifty dollar product as opposed to one that's on sale all the time for 30 bucks
0: it also depends on your standards do you want a fairly high quality speaker system or just something in the background i have to tell you though i did go to the apple store once recently to fix my wife's iphone and while I was waiting for the geniuses to act like geniuses, I asked them if they could turn on the HomePod, which was not playing anything. And I asked them, let's get a specific piece of music that you can get from iTunes. And they played it. And I listened. And I thought it sounded good enough, I guess. It was a little bit muddy and bassy, which other people have complained about. I was not knocked out from it in a sense that I would, if I had a spare 350, I'd want to buy one. But the question here is, Apple, I guess, is going to the claim here, well, it's that expensive because the sound is much better than these other devices. It's being sold as more of a speaker system than as something that can control your Internet of Things devices.
23: Right. As a speaker system, it's really good. As a speaker system, it's kind of in the mid-price range. If you look at other kind of sound bars from... People like Bose and Sonos, where even Samsung and Sony, some of those products are five or $600. It feels a little over-engineered and a little bit better than it needs to be, perhaps, for competing against Google Homes and Echo Pluses and, and those kind of products. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge sound guy, so the sound quality, you know, I'll, I'll defer to people who are better at reviewing those than I am, but I would just say it doesn't sell a lot because right now, for the most part, it's positioned as much more against the streaming speakers, Bluetooth speakers, voice speakers, and much less positioned against the place where most people want to buy quality audio in their home, and most of the quality audio in the home is bumped up against the television, whether it's in a sound bar or a set of home speakers with a receiver and all that kind of gear. So I think the positioning, not quite perfect in terms of how to maximize its opportunities.
0: So therefore, maybe Apple should produce a mini Home Pod. This, of course, is pretty small as it is, but maybe a cheaper version.
23: You mean like a mini iPod and a mini mini iPad. Sure. So they certainly miniaturized many of their products in the past to try to get to certain price points. And, um, you know, it seems logical that at some point they're going to have to deliver something that is good, but not quite $350.
0: But what about Internet of Things stuff? Do people really want to have something that, makes their intelligent refrigerators be intelligent refrigerators and talk to their washing machines and dryers or whatever?
23: Well, maybe not those devices quite yet, but right now our research says about 20% of people have at least one smart home device in their home, not including speakers, so like bulbs or a camera or door locks or those kind of things. You know, most of that is early adopters. We're starting to get to a little bit more broader audience as the apps and the features start to migrate into other devices. It makes a lot more sense to have a refrigerator with a camera in it that can tell you the food that's in there when you can integrate that with an app that lets you order things or helps you prepare and manage your household than just having a connected refrigerator for the heck of having it. So we're seeing all those pieces start to work together more and more, and we expect that we will continue to see all these these products accelerate.
0: My real concern about that, of course, is security. I want to know that when I tell my oven to start baking the turkey, that somebody else won't say stop or whatever. Or my smart doorbell will not be easily unlocked by somebody else. I want security.
23: I accept that. I would argue that your dumb door lock isn't all that secure either. You know, it's pretty easy for somebody to pick the lock and break into your house. That's what they want to do. So I think some of those security pieces can be a little bit overblown. When you look at digital world versus the analog world, but they're legitimate. I'm not saying they're not legitimate, but I think a lot of those challenges we have uh, have always had, maybe just in a little bit a bit different form.
0: Internet of thing. huh I'm concerned about that story I read a while back about someone with a Amazon Echo speaker where a husband and wife are talking. The conversation is recorded. An email to a friend, someone on their contact list. That now, was pretty funny. It's, it's funny if you know the other person. It's not funny if it goes to a stranger.
23: Well, it, to, to somebody on their contact list, presumably someone in their contact list isn't a stranger. But I'm going to take that one all the way back to some of the other stuff we said, which was, you know, what you can always find somebody or something that happened that was outrageous. Or horrible. That's the exception, not the rule. I don't know about you, but I don't always live my life based on the fear of the exceptions. Exceptions don't happen very often. You know, planes crash, but most of us aren't afraid to get in them. So cars crash. You're more than likely going to get in a car pretty soon to go somewhere. Those are the exceptions. So we all have cost-benefit analysis, and we all risk manage on our own. So you have to decide how, how much risk you actually see in those kind of things. But like I said, I think some of those things are a bit um, overblown compared to the same level of risks that exist in the analog world.
0: Hey, Stephen Baker, please tell our listeners if they want to know more of what you do, where do they go?
23: Our website is uh, www.npd.com. You can always follow me on Twitter at NPD Steve Baker.
0: You can find us on Twitter if you look for Tech Night Owl. Look for Gene Steinberg on Facebook, the guy with the plaid shirt. If you find him, it's me. Still have the shirt, haven't worn it in a while. We also have a second radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night called The Powercast at powercast.com. And this week we're going to be talking about animal mutilations, and near-death experiences. They're not necessarily related. Paracast.com. We also have a way for you to listen to the show free of the network ads. If you join Tech night Owl Plus, for more information, go to plus.technightowl.com. That's plus.technightowl.com It's cheap. Prices start at just $1. forty-nine a week, much less than a Frappuccino from Starbucks. And we think it's a better deal. You know, go get the cheaper coffee. Actually, I like Circle K coffee. I don't know if there's a Circle K near you. But they're not paying me for that, so I'm not going to mention the name again. We also have longer-term subscription plans that are cheaper per month. And you get the version of the show, once again, free of the network ads, better quality audio also. Go to plus.technighthowl.com for more information. Plus.technighthowl.com. Been a while, Stephen Baker. Thank you for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live.
23: Always the highlight of my week when I'm on your show, G. <laughs>
22: is a copyrighted presentation of Making the
6: Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time,
22: same bad channel.